Today is the last Sunday in our series, Five Things That Will Keep Your Family Together. I pray that you have enjoyed this series as much as I have enjoyed teaching and preaching through the series. You know, one thing about uh, teaching on a topic like staying together as a family is I've got to practice what I preach. And so if anybody has felt great conviction over the last few Sundays about the different areas that we've talked through, it has been Pastor JC. And, uh, and any time that I get off track, my family reminds me that I've got to practice what I preach. And so we've looked each week at a few different points. We've taken the entire month of March. There are five Sundays in this month. We're looking at the five things that we believe will keep your family together if you put them into practice. Obviously, there's a lot more than five things that you and I need to do to keep our family together. But if you do these five things, if you start with these five things, these are the five foundational things that I believe that God will use and bless to keep your family unit and to keep your family structure and to keep your home blessed and intact as the enemy comes against it. And, and that's what you need to know is that the enemy is after your family. The enemy wants your marriages destroyed. The enemy wants your children destroyed. The enemy does not want there to be peace in your house. Uh, that is his primary objective is to still kill and destroy. And even that truth should be helpful for many if you've been wondering why it's been so hard with your family. It's because the enemy is after your family because he's terrified of the potential that your family has if you step into the fullness of the promise of God. Do you agree with that? So over the course of this series, I've given you, I've given you some uh, scary statistics, some, some scary stats uh, that I want to address today one final time. Anywhere between 40 to 50% of all marriages are now ending in divorce that's heartbreaking. One in three children will grow up in a home without a father. Uh, statistics tell us that the average student loan debt, and this is important because many people, they get out of college and then they get married. And so the average student loan debt is now $49,000. And so they're walking into a new family with an overwhelming amount of financial pressure. Over 7 million children take some form of an antidepressant medication and then this one is just really painful. But over 3,000 high school students will attempt suicide every single day. And so why, you know, while the statistics might suggest that the average family is not doing well, you and I, we know that because of Jesus, we are not average. And we've made that a declaration. We've made that kind of uh, the mission of our, our family. And we're declaring this, that my family doesn't have to be average. My family does not have to be another statistic. My marriage does not have to end up in another divorce. My child does not have to end up on some form of an antidepressant medication. My child is not going to attempt suicide because he or she will know that it is Jesus who gave them life and life more abundantly. Come on, help me preach even in the introduction. And so my family, as a matter of fact, and I told you I'm preaching to me, I refuse to let my family be average. I'm not going to do it. So I want both, uh, both campuses to say this on the count of three, and I want you to say it wholeheartedly. Like, I want you to mean it and believe it, that your family does not have to be average. You ready? One, two, three. Come on. My family does not have to be really mean it. One, two, three. My family yeah. And we've tried to help you. We've partnered with you. We created a website, 30dayfamily.com. On that website is a ton of resources. One of those resources is a 30-day family challenge calendar. Of course, today being the last uh, day of the month of March, you should be printing off a blank calendar 
and now filling in those blank dates with different challenges for you and your family to do. You can't just sit through five weeks of a sermon. You can't just do one month of a challenge with your family and think you'll never have a problem again. You'll never have issues again. This is an ongoing process. We get that, right? It's an, it's an ongoing treatment that we make sure that our family is a priority. A big part of this challenge was you being in church all five Sundays, and even on a spring break Sunday, both of our campuses and both of our gatherings here and at Go Church have been filled to capacity. Come on, so a big round of applause for you being committed and hanging in there. I told you that you would be blessed, and I believe that you have been, and we're going to keep this thing rolling next week with Sunday Fun Day. So let me show you the five, the five things that we've talked about, and then, of course, today's topic, if you missed any of the previous week's. I want you to jump back online, uh, get on YouTube, download the podcast, listen to the previous weeks. We talked about God in week one. We talked about forgiveness in week two. We talked about margin in week three. Last week, we talked about effort and that every healthy relationship is going to require effort. There's no way around that. And then today, of course, we'll talk about communication. And what we've done is I've given you kind of a theme verse. And the theme verse for each one of these weeks has been Matthew chapter 7. And I love this so much because it's here we find Jesus preaching to his disciples. Thousands of years ago, he's giving them a sermon. And on this sermon, he says to the disciples, he says, listen, anybody that hears these words of mine, so you hear what I'm about to say, and then you put them into practice. So you actually do what Jesus says, you do what I'm telling you to do. He says, you're going to be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And then the Bible says this in the 25th verse. And the rain came down and the streams rose. Now I want to tell you this. Earlier in the week, I had a chance to visit our Go Church campus up in Maryland. As a matter of fact, I had the beautiful opportunity to speak at a dear brother's funeral. He passed away a couple of weeks ago. So I, I made the trip up to Maryland with some of our team. We attended the funeral, and then we stayed over for a conference. We hung out with our staff up there. We jumped back on the plane, and I was reviewing some of my notes in anticipation of our conversation today. And in my own personal time, I'm rereading Matthew chapter 7. I've read it a bunch in my personal life, and I've read it a ton through preparation of this series and when I got to verse number 25, man, the Holy Spirit just, just grabbed my heart in such a, a convicting way. Because the Bible says that the rain came down and the streams rose. And immediately my heart went back to the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 59. In one verse, verse number 19, the Bible says that the enemy will come in like a flood. And I thought about that. I thought, how, how true is this? Is that the enemy is going to come after our marriages, come after our children, come after our home like a raging flood, hoping to drown us. But the good news is, we see what the promise is in, in the New Testament in Matthew 7. The promise in the Old Testament in Isaiah 59 is, is that when the enemy comes in like a flood, it will be the Holy Spirit who raises up a standard. Come on now. And that... And that, ladies and gentlemen, has been my prayer, that through this series, we raise up a standard in our homes, that the, the first standard is making God a priority, and then we raise the standards of morality and parenting, etc. So the streams will rise, the winds will blow, and those winds, they'll beat against your house, but there is good news for those of you that heard the words of Jesus. You read this Bible and you put it into practice, your house, your marriage, your children, come on, they will not fall because its foundation was on the rock. 
And the rock is Jesus. And watch this, the verse goes on. But everyone who chooses to hear these words of mine and do it your own way. And I've talked about this. You make a decision to build your home on the premise of the world instead of the promise of the word. So you build, you build your home on sinking sand. Here's what he says. Because no matter where you decide to build your foundation, the rain's still going to come. The storm is still going to show up. He said, so you hear these words of mine and you don't put them into practice. You're a foolish person. And you've built your house on sinking sand. The rain came down. The stream still rose. The wind still blew and beat against that house. And it fell with a great crash. And of all those verses, it's verse 24 that really sticks out to me. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. So the difference of the two architects building their home is not the difference of knowledge and ignorance. Because Jesus told us what to do. The difference is obedience and disobedience. Because all of us. We know right from wrong. We know what we should do. We know what responsibility we have. And only we get to decide. There's a lot of responsibility on us. Only we get to decide the path that we're going to take. Are you with me? Come on, it's a great place to put your hands together right there. Come on. All right. So today we're talking about communication. And this is one of my favorite topics because of all the things that Kimberly and I do, my favorite thing to do is just talk to Kimberly. It's, a, it's kind of a joke. <laughs> Talking is hard, isn't it? And Kimberly loves to talk. And that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. There is a need to talk. In the season that we're in with two little children, she can't wait to have an adult conversation. You know? And I don't know if you know this or not, but when you look at the vocabulary word bank of a male and a female, females have double the amount of words that they use on a particular day than a man does. And so, men, I want you to be intentional. Some of you guys looked at your wife like, that's true. That's right. But, guys, for me and you, we've got to lean in here on the topic of communication because even when we've used all of our words at work or in business or whatever, there is still a wife at home. There's still a spouse at home. There's still a, chil a children to come home to. There's still a family that need us to communicate with them. We can't shut down and shut them off. And I want you to write this thought down because it's so true about communication your ability to communicate effectively is a key ingredient to the overall health of your family dynamic. So, of all the topics that we've talked about, from week number one of God all the way to week number five of communication, next to God, I think this topic of communication has the power and the ability to change your family unit overnight. If you can learn how to communicate effectively because communication is a key ingredient to the overall health of your family dynamic. I love this TV. I've told you about it. One finger, it goes forward. Two fingers, it goes back. But it oftentimes will even present a magic trick to you. But did you know that my TV is also an easy-bake oven? You ready? Boom. <laughs> Look at that. It's a cake. And I had this, some of you are like, how does he do that? I had this thought about this idea of communication being a, a key ingredient. I thought about cake uh, because I love cake. Anybody with me? Some of you would, would pay for this cake, and it might go up for auction after the message today. But I love cake, and I thought about all of the different ingredients that go into a particular cake. Uh, and you know some of the key ingredients that go into this cake. I mean, certainly there are some eggs in this cake. 
Uh, there might be a little flour in this cake. I'm sure there's some milk that's inside of this cake. There's one ingredient, though, that makes the cake so great. Sugar. Come on, it, let's just be honest. It ain't a cake if there's no sugar. Like, it, ain't, no, ain't nobody got time for that kind of cake. You know what I mean? Like, give me a cake with sugar and then more sugar. That's like offering sweet tea, and it ain't sweet. That ain't godly. <laughs> so sugar, and I look at all of the ingredients that go inside of this cake, and it presents a rhetorical question. What do you think is the most important ingredient? Because it takes all of those ingredients to make the cake, right? And I just had this thought, and I, I'm, not, I'm not a baker by any standard, um, but I did have this thought, and the thought was this. Of all of the ingredients that go into making this cake what it is, the key ingredient, in my opinion, is the ingredient known as heat. Heat. Now, don't at me about a no-bake cake, all right? Because I'm talking about the type of cake that you bake. When you, put, when you preheat your oven... And you take all of those ingredients that you've mixed together and you place it inside of that oven and the heat starts to work all of those ingredients together until a certain amount of time passes and what happens to the mixed cake starts to rise because it's baking. And just like, just like heat is to baking, so is effective communication to the overall health of your family. And watch this. And sometimes when you communicate, things may get a little heated. But it doesn't mean it has to be unhealthy. Well, this cake is unhealthy. <laughs> so just because you communicate and there's a little heat in the conversation, it doesn't mean that you have to allow the enemy to come in and to ruin what God ultimately wants to happen in the relationship that you're communicating with. Because watch this, listen to me. Because your marriage, your parenting, your family dynamic will only grow to the level that you're willing to communicate. So when you stop having hard conversations, your family stops growing. When you stop putting your family, the cake, into the oven where there's going to be a little heat, it'll never rise to the potential. I'm about to preach now, and y'all got to help me. It'll never rise to the potential on the inside of what it can be. But when you have some effective communication and you let all of the ingredients start talking together, all of a sudden God does something to the family unit, and you're able to grow past a disagreement. You're able to grow past disappointment. You're able to grow past pain because you weren't afraid to add a little heat to the cake. Come on and give Jesus praise. I'm going to sell this cake for $4.5 million. That's it, right? There was going to get out of debt today because of the cake. Heat is to baking, just like effective communication is to a healthy family. And here's what you and I do. Come on, let's be honest. We do not communicate well. We have... We have a form of communication, but it's not a healthy form of communicating. Matter of fact, we communicate very poorly. Because whenever we try to communicate with whomever it might be, what we do is we, we blame, we criticize, I complain, I judge, I accuse, anybody, I defend. I don't know why it is. 
I'm wired this way, but when somebody's communicating with me and sometimes it gets a little, a little heated or a little uncomfortable, man, I get really defensive because I, I want to prove that I'm not wrong because there is no way on God's green earth that I could be wrong. I don't remember the last time I was wrong. I don't have a great memory either, you know. So I start to defend. So I thought I'd do this. I thought I'd just walk us for the next few minutes through like a, a group, group counseling session on how we can communicate better when it comes to our relationship with our spouse, our relationship with our chi children, our relationship with in-laws, etc. So let me give you some questions. They're true or false questions. I'm going to move through these pretty quickly. But they'll help you identify some communication patterns and difficulties. Uh, don't answer these aloud and, and don't answer them for the person that you want to answer them for. I'm asking you to answer these questions about you. You got it? Everybody say me. me. You. Watch this. I often can't find the right words to express what I want to say. True or false? I often don't talk because I'm afraid that my opinion is wrong. You ever been there? Every time I try to say anything, my opinion's wrong anyway, so why, why should I even talk to, to all of you? How about this one? I hear this a lot in counseling. Speaking up will only make things worse. So it seems like every time I open up my mouth, I'm just throwing fuel on the fire of the dysfunction of my home. Because every time I speak up, it just ends worse than how it was when I stayed quiet. Here's one. I talk too much, and I don't give anybody a chance to even speak. How many of you are married to somebody like, don't raise your hand. <laughs> Please don't raise your hand. Here's one, and I'm putting myself out there, but this happens to me a lot whenever we're having a disagreement or we're communicating. Whenever I get started in an argument, I have trouble stopping. So I know that what I'm about to say isn't going to help the problem but I'm like a runaway semi-truck on a downhill mountainside. And I've been trying to pump the brakes as much as I can, but the brakes are on fire, and this truck's going off the side of the cliff. Anybody with me? Because when we start, we ain't stopping. I have, a, I have a difficulty with that. Here's another one. My speech is often defensive. So as, somebody, as soon as somebody says something, the guard goes up. Here's a big one. My actions don't always match what I say. So I say one thing, and I do something completely different. Come on, you've heard this old saying before, but actions speak louder than, than words. Here, here's another one. Wow, I try to repay anger with anger and insult with insult. So if you insult me, you best believe I'm going to insult you. And a lot of people do that. I think it's in the Bible where we're instructed to turn the other cheek. It's in there, right? It's in there. I tend to always say things like this. I tend to say things like this. You always. You never. You, you, all, you always put the blame on me. You never put the toilet seat down. Here's a couple more. Just a couple more. Two more, I think. I don't feel that I should have to bring up what's bothering me because my family should be able to read my mind. <laughs> have, you, have, you ever, have you ever seen somebody in your family, you know that something's wrong, and you say, what's wrong? Nothing. When you tell me nothing, 
Guess what I think is wrong? Nothing. And a lot of times in relationships, people won't say anything because they anticipate that somebody in their home should just be able to read their mind. Listen to me. We cannot read minds. You have to open up your mouth and open up your heart and say, okay, I'm going to tell you what is troubling me. And then this one, of all of the questions that I've asked, this is a big one. I don't really listen. And I'm going to, I'm going to expand on that one a little bit more. And as a matter of fact, uh, James, the brother of Jesus, jumps in with some uh, profound insight to effective communication. And I, I want to base the, the next 20 minutes of our conversation off of three key points that James makes and how it relates to having healthy communication in your family dynamic. This is what he says. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, he says, I want you to take note of this. And I'm going to pause right here because this is instruction that you should write this down. He's saying, what I'm about to tell you is so profound, it's so insightful, that you should write it down somewhere. Write it in your Bible, write it in your journal, put it in the notes section of your smartphone, borrow lipstick from the lady sitting next to you, write this down somewhere. He says, I want you to take note of this. And then the very next word that he says, it lumps all of us into a pile of responsibility. Watch what he says. He says, everyone... I don't like that so much because I like it to be somebody else's problem, somebody else's concern, somebody else's responsibility. He says, no, no, listen to me. Every husband, every wife, every son, every daughter, every grandmother, every grandfather, every aunt, every uncle, everybody in the family, it's your responsibility. And then he says these three things. He says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I know it's going to sound really easy and elementary, but it's not. I want to take these three points, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And I want to show you three, three keys to healthy communication, and I'll summarize them like this. We need to first listen more. We need to second speak wisely. And we need to third chill out. We need to calm down. Watch this. The first one, let's talk about it. We need to listen more. You know, Kimberly and I will be married 15 years uh, this October, and that, that's, that's incredible that she would literally put up with me for 15 years. Like, you know that she is a true woman of God to put up with me for that long. Don't, don't say amen. That's not the right place to say that. But in 15 years, Kimberly and I, we, we've had tens of thousands of conversations. Some of those conversations have been brief and then others of those conversations have been in depth and detailed. And, and there have been more times than I could probably count and more times that I'd like to admit where Kimberly, in the middle of a conversation, she will stop and she will ask me this question. JC, are you listening to me? Now, that's a good question because I told you last week about the mind of a woman and the mind of a man and how a man's brain is compartmentalized into boxes. And every man has one box called the nothing box. And it is a gift from God that there are moments that us men can slip off into a nothing land where nothing is happening. So Kimberly will say, JC, are you listening to me? And I'll immediately come back to reality and say, 
of course I'm listening to you. And then she always follows it up with this statement. And she says to me, you're listening to me with your ears, but are you listening to me with your eyes? And then she'll say it like this, look at me when I'm talking. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Never. No. Some of you are like, wow. <laughs> but don't we say that to our children? And it's interesting to me because when we raise up our kids, we teach them to be respectful. So maybe I parent from the old school, but in my opinion, the old school way worked. You know, what is the old school way? In the old school way, we didn't get time out. You know, the new school way is you can go to time out. Don't make me count to three. One, two, two and a half. No, no, no. I'm from the old school. We didn't get time out. We got beat down. Come on now. My mom would be like, don't make me count to get up. And I'm just kind of from that. So I, I tell my children, I'll say, hey, look at me when I'm talking to you. Because what Kimberly wants and what we want is respect. And, and Kimberly will say, I don't want you just to listen to me with your ears, but I want you to listen to me with your eyes and listen to me with your mind. Kimberly, here's what I've learned. If I've learned anything in 15 years, I've learned that Kimberly wants to know that what she's saying has value to me. And there are times that I just get caught up in daydreaming. So I slip off into that nothing box in my brain. Or there are times where I'm thinking of what I want to say next. So Kimberly is talking, but all I hear is the Charlie Brown wah, 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 wah. Because I'm just, I, I'm, not, I'm not leaning in to what she's saying to me. I'm preparing my rebuttal. So I'm working on my response instead of leaning into understanding what she's trying to say. I might even be judging what she's, what she's speaking about because I don't, like, I don't like that tone. So I'm judging with criticism. You think that of me or whatever it looks like. And, we, and in counseling, we hear this a lot. Most married, marital counseling sessions that we oversee, at some point in those sessions, I hear someone in the family say a phrase like this. No one listens to me. My wife, she don't listen to me. My husband, he doesn't listen to me. My, my children, they, they don't listen to me. I, I tell them what to do, and the, and the kids, they, they just don't listen. The in-laws, they don't listen to me. Some months back, I had a guy come in for some counseling. He said, even my own dog won't listen to me, Pastor JC. Like, nobody listens to me. And the truth is, if I'm being honest with you, I think every single one of us, James says, we all need to do a better job at listening to each other. Write this thought down. And it's so true. You got two ears. And you got one mouth. So that means that we should listen at least two times more than we speak. That's why God gave you two of these and one of these, so you could listen more. So i got to move through this fast, but let me give you some tips on how to listen better. Number one is this, and I addressed it a, a little bit a moment ago. Listen to understand, don't listen to respond. Because effective communication goes beyond just hearing somebody's words, and this is what I've learned in my marriage. Effective listening creates an environment where the other person feels like I understand them. And I think a lot of times in our communication with one another, we view it as a tennis match. So I take my words and I serve them over. And then you take your words and, and you serve them over. And then I take my words and I serve them over. 
And then you take your words and I backhand them back over. And that's not the relationship. The relationship of communication is not a tennis match. The relationship, a healthy approach to communication in a relationship is more like a pitcher and a catcher working in synchronization with one another. We're not against each other. We're on the same team. And that pitcher and that catcher will use signals with one another so that they are on the same page. And so that's the, that's the approach. I'll take my words and I'll throw them right to where they need to be so that you can receive them. And that, this is better than you're saying amen to, by the way. And then once you receive them, you will make sure to toss them gently back to me so that another error does not occur. All right, the second one is this. Be quiet. Be quiet. Lakeland and I, there's one line in the movie Titanic. My son Lakeland, uh, he's nine years old. He's never seen the whole movie, the Titanic, but there's one line that we think is so funny. And how many of you have ever seen the movie, the Titanic? How many of you have a family like the Titanic? That's not true because your family ain't average. Watch this. So, so there's one line in there. The boat is, is sinking, and uh, there's chaos and pandemonium, and everybody's, everybody's just freaking out, and they're trying to get as many people you know, on the, on the lifeboats as possible. And you guys remember this scene, and uh, children are, are screaming, and women are screaming, and men are screaming, and, and this lady, I can't remember her name. You probably know the movie better than I do, but she speaks up in a certain way, and, then, and one of the, uh, the deckhands who's working the boat and in his accent, he looks at her and he says, shut that hole in your face. How many remember that line? Don't use that line at home. It doesn't work. But I think the principle is true. Sometimes we have to shut that hole in our face because when our mouth is open, our ears are closed. When this is open... These are closed, and I don't know if you've ever noticed this or not, but listen and silent have the exact same letters. I think it's more than just coincidence. You like that? Here's a third thought with some tips on how to listen. Let them finish their thought. You and I, we have a gift of interrupting. And I want to tell you, and I'm speaking to me, that your interruption is disrespectful. Just like I would never let my children interrupt a conversation without telling them to wait until the adult conversation is finished. How is it okay for us to interrupt somebody that we love because we want to win the argument? This is not a match against each other. This is leaning in and listening to one another. And James says that. He says you should be quick to listen. And then he goes on and he says this. Take note of it. Come on, write it down. He says, everyone should be quick to listen and what? Slow to speak. When I, when I see these three words, slow to speak, it makes me think of this simple phrase that we have to speak wisely. And here's why I say this. And the Lord's really challenged me in preparation of today because I, I am not as smart as I think that I am. And, and neither are you. I... I am not as clever as I think that I am. Sometimes my humor will dig a deeper hole and get me in trouble than it does help the problem. I was talking to a young couple this week. They're getting ready to be married in a few months. And 
something happened in communication with each other a few weeks back, and he got angry, and she started crying. So they tried to work through that, and like most arguments, it happened moments before they were walking into a dinner party. So she's in the car crying, and he's sweating with anger, and they try to work through it because they want to walk into this dinner reservation with, you know, kind of with, with things together. So he's apologizing because he recognized that he was wrong, and that's a huge first step, that somebody recognized that they have to own that problem. So she's got tissue and wiping her face, and he was telling me this, how this played out. And when she finally got it all together, and he got it all together, they were getting ready to get out of the car, and in a moment of trying to be clever and funny, he said, all right, let's go eat, you big crybaby. <laughs> the reservation got canceled. That's what happened. <laughs> You're not as clever as you think you are. You're not as funny as you think you are. And listen to me, you are not as right as you think you are. That's why, if I can give you any advice, you should let your words be few and let your words be wise. Ecclesiastes 5, one verse, it says this, God is in heaven you and I are on earth, therefore let your words be few. You can't argue with this. Just to try to be funny, there's a, a great poet, his name is Ogden Nash. He wrote these words some years ago. Don't be offended by the last two words, but here's what he says. He says, to keep your family brimming with love in the loving cup, whenever you're wrong, admit it. Whenever you're right, Shut up. Sometimes we have to close that hole in the middle of our face and let our words be few and let our words be wise. Because I'm telling you, church, and I'm almost done. Watch this. I have seen a lot of families destroyed because of hurtful words. I have said some things that when it was coming off the tip of my tongue, I wanted to catch it before it got out, and I knew it would be painful, and I knew that I would regret it, and I said it anyway. Watch this. Even though I knew that what I was saying might be right, it wasn't wise. It wasn't wise. And I have seen families divided and homes destroyed because people speak. that They speak so quick, and they speak without wisdom, and Come on, how many times, you don't have to raise your hand, you don't have to give me a number, but process this, think through this. How many times have you said something that you regret saying and you've held on to that regret a thousand times over because it just wasn't laced with wisdom? With wisdom. And I don't mean this like I'm trying to win an argument, but Kimberly and I, we have both gone to bed with great points that could be made to gain advantage on our side that we chose not to say because it wasn't wise to say it. I, you and I, we don't have to say everything that's in our head and in our heart. We can speak with wisdom. With wisdom. Here's what he says. Uh, last thought. I'm going to show you the verse one more time. My brothers and sisters, take note of this. Come on, are you writing it down? Everyone, all of us, should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Here's a thought that I had. Calm down. I really wanted to call it chill out. And I really wanted to tell you to take a chill pill. But I thought that was a little much, so I'm not going to say that. <laughs> Calm down. You know, the Bible is written in 
hundreds and hundreds and thousands of, of different languages and, and a variety of translations. You know that. Personally, I love so much the NASB translation of Scripture, the New American Standard Bible. It's one of the closest and most accurate translations of Scripture. And so most of my personal study time and most of what you see on the screen, the majority of it is from that, that particular version of Scripture, the NASB. But in James 1.19, translators handled this last command to calm down, to be slow to become angry, and a variety of different approaches. One translation said, be slow to anger. Another one said, be, be slow to wrath. Another one said, don't get worked up so easy. Another, another translation said it like this, don't, don't be quick to get into rage. Another translation, don't be so short-tempered. And one more, don't lose your temper so quickly. Now, when James is saying be slow to become angry, or as I'm presenting to you, to calm down, neither one of us are suggesting that you can never get upset. Because that's not reality. Come on, you and I, we're humans, aren't we? There are times that we're going to get angry. There are going to be times that we're going to be upset. But I think what James is saying is this. Listen to me. You don't have to behave like an erupting volcano that spews your hatred and bitterness and judgmental spirit all over this house like a volcano spews its hot lava. Calm down. Take a breath. Collect your thoughts. And then speak with wisdom. And this is what I hear a lot because people will say, well, well, this is just who I am. I, I'm quick-tempered. I, I, I say what I want to say. Somebody posted on Facebook the other day in kind of a judgmental spirit. They said, I'm going to say something that y'all may not like, but you know how I am. That's a cop-out. And it's immature. Because when you are in relationship with Christ Jesus, you are filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And when you're filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you have power. Somebody say power. And that power allows you not to act like how you used to act. That power allows you to be empowered to be more like Christ. So then you get the gifts of the Spirit. And you operate in the fruits of the Spirit. What are the fruits of the Spirit? The fruits of the Spirit are the fruit that is produced by your relationship with Jesus. So when you're in relationship with Christ, you're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, and then you operate in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Well, you know I just get angry. Well, then you need Jesus and counseling and maybe some medication. But don't use it as a cop-out because listen to me, and I'm going to finish. You, through the power of God, can control your anger. And you can calm down. You don't believe me? Let me prove it to you. You ever been in a heated conversation with somebody? I mean, you were just going at it. I hate you. I'm leaving you. You can, you can keep the kids. They don't listen to me anyway. 
you said this, you never do that, you always do this. I mean, you are really, like it is hot and it is heavy and you're yelling and you're fighting. I mean, you're throwing things, you're throwing and slamming doors. I mean, plates are flying. Come on, I mean, it's all over the place. I mean, this is like, this is like WrestleMania in your house. It's like the ultimate fighting championship and you all are just going at it. I mean, everybody's angry and then what happens? All of a sudden, the phone rings. In the middle of your arguing, ring, 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 ring. And what do you do? Hello? Oh, oh man, it's so good to hear from you. How are you and the family doing? Oh, we're doing good too. Yeah, we are. Hey, I'm in the middle of something. I hate all of you. You disgust me. Pack your bags. Yeah, yeah. Can I call you back in a little bit? All right, click. Don't tell me you can't control your anger. He gives you the fruit of the spirit of self-control. Let me show it one more time. Brothers and sisters, take note, every one of you, and see the progression. You ready? Be quick to listen. Step one. Slow to speak. Step two. And slow to become angry. Step three. Because whenever you're quick to listen, you will be slow to speak. You see the progression? But if you're slow to listen, you will be quick to speak. And I'm going to tell you something I've learned. Quick speaking always leads to quick anger. Quick speaking always leads to quick anger. Each Sunday, we close out our gatherings at both of our campuses with a question, just a challenge. And I'm going to give you a minute at both of our campuses, the worship team is coming. Our campus pastors are going to prepare to close. And here, here's the question that I want to give you. What can I do to better communicate with my spouse, with my children, and with my family? I don't want you to leave. Just give, give me a second here. I want you to really sit on this question. What can I do to better communicate with my spouse, with my children, with my family. Do you need to do a better job at being quick to listen? Maybe you need to do a better job of being slow to speak. Or maybe you need to practice some self-control. And don't be angry so fast. Every head bowed just for a moment. Can you consider that question?